today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Now, I'm going to give you some breaking news. We're going to talk to the mayor of Burlington in just a second, but this is coming in from Brian Lilly of the Toronto Sun. Um, and I would buy into this because uh, Brian's pretty connected um, in that they are not about to lift the COVID-19 restrictions for Hamilton, for Toronto, for York, Durham, Halton, Hamilton, Peel, Niagara, and Windsor, Essex. Other areas in southern Ontario are getting opened up this Friday. Uh, Doug Ford will have his uh, regular weekly, uh, week weekday news conference uh, after 1 o'clock today. But that's what Brian Lilly's reporting. So timely that it is a Mayor Town Hall uh, with Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward. Uh, love that city of Burlington. Love that waterfront. And this is our first chance to talk, Marianne. So thanks very much for taking the time. Great to have you and uh, to be with you. And thanks for the shout out. We do have a great community. Oh, man. We, uh, <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of visitors from Hamilton. So well, you're all welcome here. It's a decent drive for me for Burlington, but we do it a few times a year just because the waterfront is so great and, and great restaurants around there, great bike paths. Uh, so I love it. I, I love it. Couldn't be better. And uh, we're all hoping to get back to that sense of normal and uh, and be able to do those things in the in the near future. What when I when I mentioned that from Brian Lilly, uh, this this was a day when I know that it's in the newscast. There was talk that a lot of the GTA Golden Horseshoe might open up this week. Um, if I if I, if that story from Brian Lilly from the Toronto Sun is accurate, that delays things slightly. What would your reaction be to that? Well, we are really hoping to be allowed to reopen. And the four Halton mayors and regional chair sent a letter last week when we weren't part of the first announcement of phase two reopening. Uh, you know, we'll wait and see what happens at one o'clock. Uh-huh. Uh, we did get some optimism this morning. And when I just heard that, I was I was expecting it to go in a different direction. <laughs> so yeah. If, if indeed we're... Uh, you know, we're we're still uh, in phase one. I know that will be uh, disappointing for our community. It'll be disappointing for our businesses. You know, we're ready to reopen and we're ready to do it safely. And that's the key. Yeah, I'm of two minds. One, um, I, I do think the concept of opening up uh, regionally based on caseloads, especially based on hospitalizations, makes some sense. At the same time, um, you've seen the numbers daily. Uh, the numbers that get revealed by the province daily have been remarkably positive. And there was some skepticism that they would be, given that we've had some big gatherings. There have been big gatherings in downtown Toronto. There have been marches. There were marches in Hamilton. Now, there, there could be a while for those effects to take place. But for the most part, and it's been the case in a lot of the, the major U.S. cities as well, they're not seeing a groundswell of of numbers go in the opposite direction because of people being outside. Put it that way. Exactly, uh, and we'd we'd start to see that spike right about now. The mm-hmm. march was on the fourth, and that's almost you know two weeks, a little shy of two weeks. If people were going to develop symptoms, they would have. Uh, started to for sure by now and we simply haven't seen that corresponding spike but i think the most important uh, factor here is you know i think the regional approach is there because of the recognition that people move between communities um, and there's a concern that if you open say halton and uh, peel for example right next door is not allowed to open uh, then then there's two things potentially going on. One, the business will go to Halton, uh, but but secondly, uh, will will that migration of people then start to spread it far and wide? But but the migration is happening now. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people leave our communities every day and travel to uh, Hamilton or Toronto or Mississauga. That migration uh, of people is happening, and yet we still have in Halton, for sure, uh, half the rate of the provincial average for infections. And I think the other piece that's really important here is that we shouldn't be opening anywhere unless the safety of uh, employees and customers is guaranteed. And and so we've figured it out, you know, uh, and not just we in Halton. There are uh, businesses that have been open for some time, grocery stores obviously were never closed, and, and other businesses that have really figured out how to keep people safe, and that's the key. So so if we have low numbers, if we're able to keep people safe, and if migration is already happening, that's not going to be a new normal with uh, with phase two, then it's safe for us to open and we should be able to open and get our businesses up and running again. Uh, it is it is important. Marianne Mead Ward is our guest, of course, mayor of the city of Burlington. She's with us for the full hour. If you want to speak to the mayor, 905-645-3221, 905-645-3221, uh, or pound 9900. That's pound 9900. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tricky. Do you have data to sort of look at the migration or is it a lot of word of mouth? Like I'll give you an example. Yesterday I live in Ajax, so I'm on the east side. I'm talking to my wife going, boy, it'd be great to get canoes out. It'd be great to go kayaking with our two kids. Can we do that in Port Perry? Is Port, which region is Port Perry? And so a lot of people are, are doing the research and you're right. They are, they, they would be leaving your area, going somewhere where they can sit on a patio, going somewhere where they can be on the water. Um, are you able to track that via any sort of tangible data? Well, we, we certainly have the data on uh, on working employment migration. About uh, roughly half of our community leaves Burlington every day to work in another area. Now, granted, some of those places of work are not operational or people are working from home, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty high number of people. And you think about essential services, you think about all of the businesses that have been able to open already, and a lot of those folks are... Uh, you know, Burlington residents going to other communities and vice versa. We have a lot of people coming in, about the same proportion of people coming into Burlington to to work. And many of those uh, industries or places of work have are continuing to operate. And so, you know, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen the same numbers across the region. I think that's the point yeah. that if if uh, migration between communities was going to be that kind of a problem, then we would we would have seen, you know, much closer figures uh, across the region, and we're not. They're wildly, wildly different in Peel and Toronto, especially. I don't doubt so, this, but you know that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say I, I don't doubt there's been. Uh, I, I agree with you on, on those numbers, and you're right. They were looking incredibly positive, basically from about Wednesday on. Uh, last week via region and, and obviously across the whole province. Tell us, tell the listener the work that's gone into the plan for openings. Cause there's, there's not just, you know, tan tangibly logical things that businesses need to know so they don't get slammed all of a sudden, but there's also yeah, there is also the science involved. There is also the distancing from big chains to even the smallest store has had to, has had to, you know, make this a priority. So their customers are comfortable. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's really two or three things that are, are pretty much universal now. So, 
you have attendance at the doorway. Uh, so whether that's the grocery store or uh, whether that's your Home Depot, People will wait. Uh, they'll they'll figure out what their capacity is inside the store to ensure social distancing, and they literally count people coming and going. And I've had to wait as many mm-hmm. people have had to wait, um, which which we willingly do uh, for our turn, so that it's not overcrowded. That that's the first step. There are many businesses now that are requiring or starting to require masks, which protects you if you are. Uh, asymptomatic even, or if you're, you know, if you're symptomatic, you shouldn't be near a store, first of all. So, but you can be asymptomatic, as we've now learned. So it protects you from potentially affecting, infecting somebody else. So wearing masks, barriers for cashiers is key, and lots of cleaning and hand sanitization. So, you know, the grocery stores that I've gone in, they will sanitize the carts and you pick your cart from the, the place and they clean it every time there's a use. So these are just some of the, the practices that are already being employed by businesses because they have to protect their employees and they have to protect their customers. Uh, and they want to because it's the right thing to do, but it's also bad for business if people get sick uh, on their premises. And so they've got skin in the game to make sure that people are are uh, safe and and they're doing that so we we haven't seen with with the reopening even uh, most recently of some of the additional stores that were allowed to reopen we haven't seen a spike because people have figured out how to do this safely uh, what is your message to your residents um, your constituents uh, about masks we all I, I think we can can concur all of us were a little late to the game on this. All all of us were uh, uh, because of, because of conflicting messaging from whether it was the World Health Organization, whether it was from you know um, the, even even the various governments at at the federal or provincial level, and not just our country, other countries saying ah mask won't make any difference, a mask won't help you, and the data, the science, everything seems to document that uh, that it will. E- even cloth masks will keep your droplets quite obviously to yourself. Exactly. And that, and that's the key. It's really to prevent you from potentially infecting others, especially if you don't know, because you might be asymptomatic, that you are COVID-19 positive. And so we've, uh, we've encouraged, our public health department has encouraged people to wear masks anywhere that social distancing is not possible or is a challenge. And, and so public transit would obviously be one of those areas where it can be difficult um, we are looking at whether to make a mandatory mask or order. We haven't done that yet on our public transit, but we are we are looking about you know looking at increasing capacity and uh, you know if that happens, then it will be that much harder. Uh, our public um, medical officer of health has not uh, decided has decided not to issue a mandatory mask order. I know that in uh, Wellington, Dufferin. Uh, county that that they have Mm -hmm. uh, that region and that includes Guelph Um, but you know we I've had correspondence with her as as early as about half an hour ago and and they're not choosing to make it mandatory but they strongly encourage it where you can't maintain social distance and and really that's been the message from the beginning so if you are in a smaller store where it could be a challenge uh, really anywhere I, I now wear a mask whenever I'm out uh, in public in an inside facility. I don't wear it outside, mm-hmm. uh, but when I go grocery store uh, shopping or you know run errands, I put my mask on before I go into a facility. It is a strange thing. I remember uh, I-, I took uh, our other car uh, to go play tennis, and then I was going to go to Shoppers Drug Mart, pick up some stuff after, and then I'm realizing... 
I can't go. I don't have a mask. Like you end up some someone made the reference on Twitter that the, it's like Spider Man realizing he doesn't like have, have his mask. It, you feel a little <laughs> naked without it when you realize you don't have it. You better go home and get it. Take the other car and and save your shopping for another another time of the day because I don't feel good going in. I I, I don't want to get. I, I now you're getting stared at if you don't have one as opposed to if you have one. So I think that's, we've come we've come a long true. way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think these measures will help. And, uh, you know, I think the silver lining of all of this is that we'll prevent all infectious diseases from spreading, you know, even things like the flu. I mean, you think about uh, the common cold. I mean, when we're, mm. we're controlling for the most lethal one, which is COVID-19, but it, it really will keep us healthier from all the other things that we normally get sick about because we're in communal spaces. Yeah. Uh, tell me about about swimming pools. Uh, I mentioned earlier that's the one thing I think will give some public pools opening would give parents uh, an element of uh, concern that maybe a haircut would not or sitting on a patio and having a drink or having a meal would not. Um, and again, we're all going to have to we're, we're all going to have to I wouldn't say take some chances, but we're all going to have to just put steps forward because um, eventually we will have kids in school. Eventually a lot of the big indoor things that are closed right now will reopen again and, and we'll have to figure out how calculated a level of, of concern we should have about these things. But tell, tell us about pools and what the plan is there. So we're planning to open our outdoor pools and our splash pads. The splash pads are a little trickier because they're a little harder to control young kids that are running through a splash pad from staying uh, apart from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that'll, that'll be a challenge. In our pools, we're looking at, um, you know, classes, at instruction, you know, things where it's easier to regulate both the number of people in the facility at one time and also um, how many, you know, how close they get to each other. So, you know, the whole, re- there's, there's a lot of different things that happen in our pools. There's a lot of training and sports competitions, and those are those you can manage to keep people apart. It, it's where you have the open recreational swim, and we are we're not there yet uh, because that was a little again a little harder to manage. But certainly opening our pool for some of those classes that people have come to rely on, and and it, you know it'll it'll look very different than it than it has. The capacity will be less. There will be attend- more attendance uh, surfaces where people are touching doorways, uh, washrooms, those kinds of things will have to be regularly cleaned. And uh, so the whole experience is going to be different than it was uh, pre-COVID. All right. Tony has a question uh, for the mayor, Marianne Mead Ward. You're listening to the, uh, of course, the monthly mayor town hall here on 900 CHML. Tony, you're on with uh, with Mayor Ward. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Marianne, uh I've listened to your conversation several times now, and I think you're shooting from the hips uh, most of the time, but uh, <laughs> I don't have any problems uh, like the information you give. But the question that I'm bringing here is, with the rent that these stores and, and uh, restaurants and businesses have to pay, the problem that I'm getting here that a lot of these uh, owner-renters uh, are not getting on the bandwagon to help the stores stay open. And they say, well, pay me now, we'll pay me later, but you're going to pay me. Why can't the the, uh, people that own the property reduce the rent just a little bit so that they can have the stores maintain uh, the space and not get uh, an empty space? And the old adage, 
you can have uh, half a loaf or be- uh, is better than none. And I was just wondering uh, why aren't the uh, people that own the property reducing the rent a little bit to help the uh, stores okay. maintain? Thanks, Tony. It's a it's a great question, and uh, you know the the four mayors of Halton and the regional chair we did advocate that the rent program was um, too complicated, so that could be why some landlords didn't want to participate, uh, or property owners didn't want to participate. But they've got to contribute, right? So it's it's twenty five percent of the cost of the rent they'd have to be willing to reduce the tenant picks up 25 and the federal government was going to pick up the balance of 50%. We said that was not, um, that, that the program itself was not well understood and, and we saw that with the uptake. But more importantly, uh, I brought a resolution to Burlington City Council to ask the government to have the flow through directly to the tenants because so many, um, as, as Tony mentioned, so many landlords are not participating for whatever reason and they're still charging uh, you know, full fare. And for our hospitality industry, this has been crippling. It's been devastating. You know, I've heard estimates from our Burlington Restaurant Association members that 75% of their monthly fees are rent. Yeah. And when you're, what you know, you can't, you can't meet that when you've, with, with curbside pickup, you, you can't. And even when, you know, if we are allowed to go into phase two, the capacity will be significantly reduced. It's not going to be 100% capacity right out of the gate. Uh, you know, the province is talking about indoor venues right at right now at 30% capacity. So this is a huge problem, and we're going to continue to advocate that the, that the rental subsidy should flow straight to the tenants so that they can pay their rent where the where the landlord chooses for whatever reason not to participate. All right, I may swing you to a better mood uh, because there's some clarification on the uh, Toronto Sun story. Headline didn't quite match the text, but I'll read you now. The Toronto Sun reporting the Premier will announce uh, some of the GTA will move into Stage 2, and it should include York, Durham, Halden, Hamilton, and Niagara. They say Toronto and Peel will stay in, and Windsor-Essex will stay in Stage 1 for at least another week. So there's some clarification. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I Look took. Uh, let, let me let me bring you way down and then bring you way back up uh, over the span of twenty three minutes. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's it's like a good news. Uh, good good news. Uh, it's a, that John Krasinski show. Uh, whatever it was, good news. Some good news. That's what it is. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on nine hundred CHML. We're having our Mayor Town Hall hour uh, for the month, and we're being joined by uh, Marianne Mead Ward from the city of Burlington. The news does look good about potential reopening. We talked about that in the first half hour, but if you've got questions about some of the financial issues for the city or the reopening, they're available 905-645-3221. We've got a few lines, 905-645-3221 and pound 9900. Um, I mentioned that in, in the news, uh, Mayor Ward, the uh, the deficit that Hamilton's facing right now. No doubt every municipality across the province is. Um, and, and it's a really tough thing to to calculate where we're going to be eight months, 10 months, 12 months from now, because it, it's it's not it, this is static. It's the uncertainty of, of when we get back to normal. Exactly. It changes uh, as long, you know, the longer this pandemic goes on and we are in a state of um, not being able to get back to, you know, collecting revenue on various things like transit or or parks and uh, permits and programming, uh, we're going to continue to bleed money. And 
the the picture that we got, uh, you know, for the first three months was for three months we were okay. We we were looking at a two hundred thousand dollar variance if it only lasted three months. Our staff uh, came back last week and advised us that. Uh, we're actually in an $18 million hole that they have found ways through cost-cutting and other measures uh, using reserves where those are appropriate uh, for the for, for the revenue loss. We're down to three and a half. So they've, mm-hmm. they've taken an $18 million hole and whittled it down to three and a half, but that's still three and a half million. And for Burlington residents, that's a two to three percent increase on taxes if we have to cover it that way, which is completely un- unacceptable for us. Transit is a uh, is a massive one for almost any city, and and you know it's almost the larger the city, the more significant it is. But people are trying to go green. People are trying to be more sensible about when they use a car and when they don't use a car. Um, there's again, there's probably no way to look and forecast when transit returns to some semblance of normalcy for your city. I think it's going to be really tough because there are people who have compromised immune systems or live with somebody who is either a frontline worker or has a compromised uh, compromised immune system that may have been taking transit. It would be, you know, I, I don't, you know, I can appreciate those people would not necessarily want to put themselves or their, their loved ones at risk by riding transit. And so I think we're going to see a very slow return to uh, to transit and it will probably be you know, we we know that there were people who were taking it by choice, as you say, to be environmentally friendly. It was the environmentally friendly option. I think people who have a choice, if they're in those circumstances, are, you know, it's going to take a long time to get them back on transit. Well, and it, it, you're right. There's a practicality issue for some, um, but there's, there's also a word of mouth issue. I, I think that's what's going to have to work in any city to get people back uh, and feeling comfortable about it is you're going to have to hear from your neighbor or work colleague that they had a good experience, they've been using it, mm-hmm. and no issues whatsoever. And it's again, it's like a good restaurant. Hear that place? Yeah, it's open. It's great. You, you're that's what's going to be needed for something as you know, again, some so simple, so basic, and 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 so you know, a, a vital essential need for cities as buses and and in bigger cities, trains. Yeah, and I, I think what will come out of this, I hope, is what you know cities around the world have have done you know before now is is stagger work or have you know congestion pricing um, you know and, and I'm not suggesting that's the answer but the the answer uh, that we've discovered working virtually is that people could could go into work later when it's less busy mm-hmm. and maybe we can maintain capacity and still have you know people taking transit and not clogging up the the roads in a very short window in the morning and afternoon commute. So I think we've got to turn our mind to, you know, does everybody need to come to work every day? I I think we're going to see a completely different workforce. Uh, does everybody need to come into work at the same time every day? And if, if we as a society can figure that out, and other, other communities around the world have already figured this out, um, then we can start to stagger and maybe balance out the use of transit so it is less congested for everybody and for those folks that have to use it. Mary Amid Ward is our guest, uh, of course, Mayor of the City of Burlington. If you want to speak to her, 905-645-3221. That's 905-645-3221. I know in some cities uh, there's been revenue loss because the courts aren't open. So there's Provincial Offenses Act revenue that, uh, that, that you know, will come at some point potentially, but right now doesn't exist. Is that the case in Burlington? 
we're we're opening the courts. I mean, yeah, it, it all waits for you. That's one of those things where the the revenue will eventually come in. I think where the revenue is just simply completely lost is where we're having a real challenge on our budget. So we canceled, you know, early in March, we made the decision to cancel all of our spring programming right to the end of June 30th. We were one of the first municipalities to do that. Canceled, of course, our festivals and permits. So that caught the Sound of Music Festival, which brings a lot of revenue um, to the community more than than the city, but a huge economic driver. And, um, you know, that we, we're, ne- we're never getting that money back. <laughs> like that, yeah, that's yeah. gone. So I'm I'm worried about those uh you know, those types of services where it's it's just a sunk cost and you only you have very limited options to try and to cover that, which is why, you know, municipalities across the country have said the federal and provincial governments have to step up and help municipalities. They've they've um you know, they've had many announcements for other uh, legitimate, you know, groups who needed funding were, were at, we should be at the top of the list now. Cities need funding to make ourselves whole because we can't continue to provide the frontline services we have to, do it safely, and uh, and do it within our budgets. All right, I know next week you and City Council uh, will talk property taxes, and, and nearly every municipality in, in April um, gave a grace period from either from interest from penalty if you could not pay your property tax at that point. But this is this is a, a dicey subject, isn't it? That's that's money that that residents and homeowners owe. That's that's money business owners owe, and and you know the city's entitled to it at a certain point in time. So it's you know like I said, it's a it's a really tricky topic between sensitivity and practicality, isn't it? Yeah, and and what we've seen, uh, which we're very grateful for, I mean, we've certainly seen a drop uh, more on the commercial side, and that just is further evidence of how hard hit our business uh, and economy has been. <clears throat> but but we've seen about a ten to fifteen percent drop in uh, payments based on where we were a year ago. So it's it's uh, significant, but that also means that the vast majority of people are still paying their taxes, paying it on time. And so our revenue is, has been held whole. So what we're looking at now is continued um, in, continued relief for those people who really need it. That They'll have to pay the bill at some point, but we've already extended the, uh, the next payment was normally July. It's now August. So there's another month that people don't have to pay. And then the September payment is October. Uh, we're now looking at, and this is the uh, the options that we've asked staff to come back to um, our city council on Monday with. I asked them to look at, you know, could we, uh, if people are late on making payments, could we forgive the the uh, penalty and interest? It, it just seems uh, challenging, shall we say, yeah. to, to penalize people in in this kind of a situation. I'd rather get our revenue from some other place. So. Uh, I know Oakville has uh, extended property uh, penalties and interest relief till the end of the year. Uh, Milton is doing it on a application basis. So you'd have to say, yeah, I really, you know, it, it is because of some hardship. I've lost my job or my business is shut down rather than just across the board because the vast majority of people still can pay. Uh, so we're we're going to look at those options uh, at Monday, and it may be you know a, a, sh- a small extension, a couple of months, not to the end of the year, 
but we'll have some uh, some data from our staff to make that decision. That raises an interesting point. How much have municipalities, in in, in your yeah. mind, uh, Mayor Ward, worked together and collaborated on on concepts? Like c- cities, and municipalities aren't rival aren't rivals per se, but at a time like this, a, a lot of the idea of of competitiveness of you know restaurants and of things that would draw you from one community to another. It it gets pushed aside a little bit. There are there must be municipalities that you say that's a great idea. I wonder if that works here and vice versa. Well, we're you know I I one of the shifts that has happened is we are now a global community in the sense of our citizens are able to see what's happening across the world as solutions and they bring it to our doorstep and they tell us this is what we want you to do, and and that was always kind of there before, but now mm-hmm. it's. Um, it is the new normal that that we have to know not only what might work in our community, but what anybody elsewhere is doing, and not just not just in Halton region, not just Hamilton right next door to us, not just in the GTHA. What's happening in the rest of the country? What's happening internationally? And um, and so it, it it's a great opportunity to learn from the successes of others. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's also a corresponding uh, huge expectation that we will uh, be able to then move very quickly. Um, You know, I've described decision-making in a pandemic at at, it's about 30-second intervals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Even as we talked about on this call, you were open. No, you're not. Yes, you are. I mean, (laughs) things can change within the course of a day and in in the course of several hours, and your decision-making window is very small. So, so I'm, you know, so learning from other communities is really key. The the one thing that I will say in Halton, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a new mayor, as you know, I'm yeah. I'm a year and a half on the job. I work with the longest serving mayor in the country. That's Gord Krantz out of Milton and uh, Gary Carr, uh, the Halton Regional Chair, Rob Burton in Oakville, and Rick Bennett in Halton Hills have all served many more years than me. So I reached out very early in the pandemic to say. You know, can we do a, a Halton Mayor's Huddle? Because, you know, we got to talk to each other. I want to learn from what you're doing, Co- coordinate our efforts as much as possible so that residents don't get this patchwork of, you know, confusing and different rules in different communities. And so we've been meeting for several months now, um, every week, uh, sometimes talking uh, by email or other means multiple times a week to, to coordinate our efforts as much as possible. And it's been great uh, for all of us. Yeah, well, I, you know, for, it's interesting, right? It's not their first rodeo per se, but it is all of our first global pandemic. So we're still, yep. <laughs> we've been walking a little <laughs> bit blindly into a lot of things uh, over the over the weeks and months, figuring out what works and and what necessarily doesn't. I'm sure from uh, an administrative perspective, hang tight. I want to get one more segment in with you. Uh, it's the uh, City of Burlington's Mayor Marianne Mead Ward, our monthly town hall. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Coming up uh, after lunchtime when uh, the premier of the province, Doug Ford, will make a potential announcement. There's a lot of rumor, speculation, a little innuendo even, uh, about the uh, areas that are going to move to stage two potentially by Friday. Last week, a lot of the places that did on Friday... um, we're kind of surprised by it. Daycares were surprised. Restaurants were surprised. I don't know that that'll be the case uh, with four days' notice, so it should go a little more efficiently uh, in some factors there. Um, 
Mayor Ward, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, obviously there was a, on June 4th, uh, a large march. There was great attendance. There was social distancing. There was masks. Um, and activism is obviously a, a, a huge topic. Uh, equality is a massive topic as well. Uh, and I know the people of Burlington got very, very involved in that June 4th. Tell me what you've seen from your residents, your constituents, that has impressed you the most about, uh, ab- about again, wanting equal opportunity for all people to be all things. I was uh, I was I was proud and uh, really astounded by the the numbers of people that came out. I think it was one of the largest in our whole area, and uh, it was very peaceful. People did their best to keep a distance where they could. Uh, most people were wearing masks mm-hmm. and you know not hugging and touching each other. It was it was a very powerful statement that that Burlington residents. Uh, do not stand for racism of any kind, that Black Lives Matter, that uh, our Indigenous community matters, uh, you know, people of colour, we need to support everybody in our community. And uh, since the march, I've been engaged in uh, a series of conversations which will continue for, for a very long time, uh, until, you know, as long as we need to have conversations until racism is gone, but uh, reached out. I, in fact, right after this, I'm speaking to the event organizers. Uh, I've had other people reach out to me after the march to say, look, I've experienced uh, racism in Burlington, and, and we do know that it exists here, but often we only hear about it when it's when it's so egregious, uh, like the posters that were put on City Hall, anti-Semitic posters uh, plastered on City Hall and community centres about a year ago. That was investigated. They did find a charge to individuals for that. Um, but there's all this other type of racism. Earlier this morning, I talked to a woman who was at Spencer Smith Park uh, and saw a man off-leash with an off-leash dog, which is against our bylaws, by right. the way. Uh, the dog charged her, um, ran past her, but certainly started, startled her. She's a Muslim woman who wears a hijab and asked the man to leash his dog. And he said, you know, go back where you came from. Um, and she said, that's not the first time. It's not the only time. Yeah. It probably won't be the last time. And she said, I'm done, you know, suffering in silence. And she asked me to share her story uh, to get, you know, encourage other people to talk about their experiences, report it. Um, and, and certainly continue to raise awareness that this not only happens in our community, but it's unacceptable. Good for you. We need that. We got, I got about 90 seconds here. Tell tell our listeners what the mayor is most looking forward to in uh, in stage two. I think I, 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 I honestly give me <laughs> give me something. And martinis what? on the patio with my dear friends when I can gather with uh, with people that I care about uh, outside my own household. Uh, some of my friends who I've been missing. You've already you've already booked your time for Friday night, right? Just fingers crossed that it uh, <laughs> exactly. that it transpires. Is that how it works? <laughs> I I don't get any special cue, unfortunately. <laughs> no. uh, but I will be signing up as soon as we get the hopefully the green light later. Today. I think there's a lot of people looking to support. I, I a friend of mine's a bar owner in London, and they've got two hour windows, so it's it's great because usually you walk into places and you're like, those people have been at that table for five hours. Like, move along, like. Is yep. there going to be a second date? Did the guy get the job? Like, let's go. Two hours <laughs> is enough, right? It is for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't thank you enough for spending the hour with me. It's great to uh, make your acquaintance. Uh, I, I've, I was well aware of the work you did and uh, your uh, your successful election uh, when it happened. So thank you very much for making the time for me today. I appreciate it, and, and good luck. A lot of huge uh, ch- and stiff challenges these next few weeks and months. But thank you for the time. 
Thank you so much. Great conversation. You got it. Uh, Marianne Mead Ward, the mayor of the city of Burlington. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.